All right, hey, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the Gospel of John. We're in chapter 6. We're continuing our study. We started in chapter 1, verse 1, and here we are finally to chapter 6. And we'll pick it up in verse 36. John 6, 36, and 37. This is God's word. Jesus speaking. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you've heard me talk about uh, music and rehearsals and changes in music and stuff over the years. Hang on a second. Hold on. I think it might be this thing. Hold on. Um. And um, <clears throat> one of the big changes is that there used to be speakers all over the floor, uh, wedges, monitors all over the floors. And uh, those have pretty much disappeared, and now everything's in here. And that's why you have these things. I mean, these things are custom fit, and they put this weird foam in your ear. It goes right in there. This is like that far from your eardrum. There's a tiny little speaker in here, and the speakers on the floor are gone, and that's what all these things are. And so the booth can talk to me. You know, they go, Jimmy Reich's not on. Jim. Uh, turn around, something's about to fall on you. You know, they can talk to you from the stage while things are going. It's really weird. Um, but uh, there can be a lot of problems with these things. Uh, sometimes um, there's a cable that's bad. Sometimes it's user error. Somebody back there has not pushed a button or something and it's not on. But sometimes, and this has happened quite a few times over the years, is um, the frequency will be wrong, frequency. So you got a, you got a wireless pack on your belt here and then there's a receiver back in the booth and the antennas have to be right, and the frequency has to be dialed in right. And if you're not on the same frequency, it is impossible to hear. And there are frequencies bouncing all over the place in there. I mean, we have tons of wireless mics and wireless packs in there, just zillions of frequencies. But if your thing ain't wired up to the right frequency, it's impossible for the conversation to get through. Now, I'll open with that as an illustration for the problem of sin, in fact, the Bible is very specific about that. Um, you know, it says that God will not hear. It's not that he can't hear, it's that he will not hear. And of course, I'm speaking from a human perspective here. If I'm speaking from a heavenly perspective, of course, God can hear. Of course, God uh, supersedes all frequencies. It's not like he's cut off from information at any point or his sovereignty uh, stops in different positions. No, God knows everything all the time. He's in control of everything all the time. But, um, you know, from a human perspective, we cannot talk to God if we're not on the right frequency. It doesn't get through. He doesn't hear. He doesn't acknowledge. There's one way to get to that right frequency. Now, here's a very scary verse, friends. Um, Verse 36, I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. Now, that is amazing to me. And it's scary because, you know, people, you've heard me say this a bunch of times. People will go, man, if I could have only walked with Jesus, if I could only have been one of the disciples or somebody nearby and I could hear him teach, if I could only have seen him live his life out in righteousness, if I were only one of the disciples. Um, or how about this, if I were one of the inner circle of disciples? Or how about this, what if I were John, the writer of this, John's, Jesus' best friend, John, we think? What if I were the closest human being to Jesus as a friend, and I, and I witnessed Jesus, and I had interactions with Jesus, and, and I just hung out with him all the time, and I saw his righteousness, then surely I would believe. 
And it's harder over here 2,000 years later with this invisible Jesus and believing in a homeless guy who was murdered 2,000 years ago. I mean, that seems, it's just very distant. If I were there, man, I would have believed. Jesus says, I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. <laughs> they were there. They had all the privilege, uh, but, but belief uh, was absent. Now, how the heck then does one believe? I mean, if you can live with Jesus and see Jesus how, and, and still not believe, how does one not believe? Well, here's your answer. How, actually, how does one eventually believe? How does anyone believe at all? Here's your answer. The answer is this in verse 37. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. All right, and that's where we get our big idea for today. Uh, this is not uh, preacher gobbledygook. Uh, this is not some silly little theme. All that the Father gives to Jesus will come to Jesus. That's not preacher speak. That's preacher looking at the scriptures going, hey, that'd be a good point. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out, says Jesus. All right, let's go to our first point of two. And by the way, <clears throat> early, early on my, in my notes, I, in fact, I scribbled it out and wrote ha uh, on my notes. The, um, I, I, was gonna, I, said, I, I said at one point, uh, we'll be spending the, most, the majority of our time on the first point. And then when I got to like page nine, I was like, we're still on the first point. So um, <laughs> I subdivided it. So there's really two points, but we're, we're going to stick with verses 36 and particularly uh, verses 37. So um, Christ church. Now, it's important to remind you all that what we're looking at today is anchored in what Jesus says in verse 35. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, that is a self-declaration. Uh, one writer that I was reading uh, said that the metaphor, I am the bread of life, I love this. He says, I am the bread of life, allows no escape. I rather like that. Um, in other words, you don't get to believe some of Jesus. You don't get to like part of Jesus' message or part of Jesus' teaching, uh, nor can you f fail to either affirm or reject, um, you know, when you peel back the layers of your heart um, at your core what you truly believe about this Jesus. When he says, I'm the bread of life, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's speaking spiritually. He's speaking eternally. And it's also implied the reverse. If you don't come to him, um, you're always going to hunger and you're always going to thirst. I mean, he makes a self-declaration that, you, you, that, that uh, you can't escape. You can't go, I like some of Jesus' teachings and, and all that kind of stuff. Said with force, um, I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. Now, I want you to, I don't want you to have a gray understanding of that. I want you to know what Jesus is proclaiming. Um, specifically, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? He says, whoever comes to me, whoever believes in me, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? I mean, when you have some friend at work that says, hey, Bob, tell me this Jesus, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? What would your answer be? And you have to be careful because... Um, it's, it's easy to spit out a bunch of facts. And, you know, it, it's, we do have a factual salvation. We do have an historical uh, savior, it is true. But um, there's a difference between believing facts about Jesus and believing in 
Jesus as the singular Savior of your soul. Big difference. Oh, I believed in God all my life. Whoop-de-woe. I believed in chairs all my life. What does it mean? I haven't exercised faith in a chair until I've stood in the chair or sat in the chair. Um, Hey, let me me show. This is pretty cool. Um, William Hendrickson is a great dead commentator. Um, but, but he's, it's been, he's been, you know, he's been a father in, of, of the faith to me. And, um, he, he writes this cool, st- what is he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen to this. He, he, he writes about, um, what, what it means to, to believe in Christ as, as um, and he, and he says, you know, in verse, um, yeah, in verse 35, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, shall not hunger. Who believe, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's saying that the author here, and I'll show you on the screen in a second, is saying the same thing, that uh, coming to Jesus and believing in Jesus are, 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 are put side by side. But what does it mean to come to Jesus and to believe in Jesus? What do those, those synonymous ideas spiritually mean? Well, he's got a, a groovy little footnote in about John 3.16. Um, for God loved, so loved the world uh, that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes, and he takes that word believe and he talks about it. Um, and he's got a, he's got a definition. Um, um, those who receive Jesus with abiding trust and confidence. That's what he says, abiding trust and confidence. But the word that he's using is, and even, you know, I don't, I don't know New Testament Greek, but even I can read that, pistuo. That's a word that you probably, some of you know. Pistuo, have you ever heard of that before? That means faith. Well, if you put this funky little squiggly doozle on here, and uh, it says pistuas, um, the meaning then turns into exercising living faith. So you get that? It's to, to believe in Jesus Christ is to exercise a living faith. It's to exercise an abiding trust and confidence. That, that's, that's what it is to believe in Jesus. Now, um, I'm going to turn real quick. Don't turn, but um, in Isaiah 55... Let me read just, just a few things here. Um, this is Isaiah 55. <clears throat> this is a messianic um, passage. It is pointing um, deliberately to Jesus, the, the Savior. And here's what it says in Isaiah 55.1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money. And without price, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. Now back to our passage when Jesus is talking and um, he's, he's saying, uh, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I'm not saying that Jesus is quoting Isaiah 55. I don't think that he is. But he certainly knew his scriptures. And it, and it certainly echoes in eternity for us as we consider Jesus' words and we look at Isaiah 55. And it had to have been back in his body of scriptural knowledge. I mean, think about that, friends. Isn't that just amazing? Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You don't have any money? Awesome. Come, buy, and eat. How do I buy if I don't have any money? That's the point. That is called grace. And so to believe in the Savior is to come without money and price. It's to come and say, I've got absolutely nothing. 
except a living faith that says, I throw myself on the mercy of the court. I've got nothing that I bring to the equation, nothing. I've got nothing to pay for it. So what I want to show you here in verse 37 then, when Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, um, uh, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Check this out. Uh, this is a parallelism, and I've shown you this before. Oh, excuse me. This is, this is, there's another one. Um, this, yeah, they, yeah, sorry. Um, it's, it's in verse 35. I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Look at how, look at how that comes together. You got the whoever in both, in both of them, right? Uh, look at the uh, one on the right. You got shall not hunger, shall never thirst, all right? You got those paired together. And in the middle, you got comes to me, believes in me. Now, I, I've told you all this before, but parallelisms show up in the scriptures a lot. If you, if you read the Psalms carefully, slowly, thoughtfully, and you start to look for these, they will jump off the page. And sometimes they're parallel like this. This is parallel where you can go voot, voot, voot. Sometimes they're in an X form where you got the whoever here and on, on the second line, the whoever's on the far right. But look for them. Uh, they're all over the scriptures and we have one here. We have a couple of them here. Um, but what's so, what's so groovy about it is when you look at it, you got the whoever's the same. You got hunger and thirst. Those aren't separate different things, those separate things. Okay, so you don't have to go, oh Lord, uh, help me with my thirst. Now help me with my, my hunger. No, the whole thing is a spiritual issue. It's talking about being satisfied spiritually. So it's spoken as a package. They're spoken as synonyms. But look at the middle. To come to Jesus is to believe in Jesus. In fact, one could even say that that's a synonymous parallelism, but the second line is um, augmented, which also happens a lot in parallelisms. Like look at um, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Look how much stronger the second line gets it, though. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I mean, you see, the second line's got a little bit of extra punch. Well, I think so does the middle section. Coming to Jesus, approaching, believing in Jesus, submitting, that, that's the recipe. And so I show all that to show you that um, um, that's what it is to believe in this Jesus. Jesus says, you see and don't believe. The, what he's wanting is coming with a living active, saving faith that throws oneself on the mercy of the court. I got nothing. I've got no money to buy. Now, please, out of grace, let me have. That's a wonderful gospel, y'all. It's wonderful. All right, let's apply this. Um, You notice the strange, um, let me go back. Hang on a second. You notice the strange um, sermon point, Christ's church. (laughs) I mean, isn't that a strange thing to call this point? Um, even, before, even when I still had one point, that was the point, Christ's church. Um, Christ's church. Um, if you just uh, were doing a study and uh, you had to turn in a, a sermon title to the receptionist to type in the bulletin so they could print 1,000 bulletins, and, he, and you had verses 36 and 37, uh, I say to you that you believe and seen, and yet you don't believe all that the Father gives to me will come. Whoever comes, I will never cast out. If that were your text... Would your, would your sermon title be Christ's Church? It's weird, isn't it? Why would I do that? Well, um, I, I've told you this before, I know, uh, but when I first started working here uh, 22 years ago, we would have a staff meeting back here, and the, the conference room was uh, where Randy Carson's office is. And it was this little table, and I mean, the whole staff could fit around it. It was like 10 people. It was tiny. And um, 
I remember Dr. Young one time saying to the staff, asking the staff, listen, out of curiosity, I'm just wondering if you um, ever had a chance in the pulpit, which you will never have, but if you did, (laughs) if you did have a chance in the pulpit, each one of you, and it was every staff member, men, women, everybody in their different levels of pastoral ministry, he said, every one person, if you had one shot at the pulpit, what would your subject matter be? I mean, what would you talk about? All right, give me an idea. And uh, this is 20, I mean, I was brand new. I, I think I had worked here three months. I didn't know anything. I didn't even know what I was doing. I just heard of Martin Luther. Uh, I, I'd heard of Martin Luther King. Martin Luther was new to me. I mean, I, I had just heard of the Protestant Reformation. It was new. Uh, that's my Plymouth Brethren upbringing. But um, anyway, my answer was the church. But, and I didn't even know why I said that. If you had one shot at the pulpit and you could talk about one thing, what would you talk about? My answer was the church. And I've marveled at that to this day. Why would I? That was the first, I never put a thought to that before. That was my first answer. And what's strange is all these years later, I would say the same thing, the church. Now, how is the church defined in here? Friend, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. You know who that is? The church. It's the church. I mean, that's God's collected people. And it should change your perspective radically about how we behave with one another, how we behave with Christians at large, not just at this church, but Christians everywhere, how we view the lost. I mean, there are people who um, have seen but don't believe, yet we believe all that the Father gives Jesus will come. Here we are. What does it mean? It means we're a new people. It means we're a new race. It means we're a new family. It means we're a new bloodline. It also means that this thing that we're doing right now is not some little thing on the fringe of your life. It's the hub of your life. It's the center. I mean, all your activities are supposed to surround the gathering of God's people in the church, all of them. And if it's not high priority and it's like, well, you know, I guess we'll go. Yeah, I know, I guess we'll give it another shot. Oh, it's been a few weeks. I'm telling you, if you're not leading your family that way, man, and women, um, you're blowing it. You, you, got your, you got the order goofed up. Um, God's gathered people are very important to God. Um, all that the Father gives Jesus will come to him. Um, don't you forget that. It should just change your perspective on everything. Um, you, your whole lives should revolve around the activities of God in his church. All right, um, our last point then, second point, the pillars of salvation. I got to step out of the gas here. Um, <clears throat> here's a good way to approach reading the scriptures. Okay, you're going to sit down, you're going to read the scriptures and be alone with God. Here's a good way. Uh, ask yourself, what, Lord, show me in this passage uh, what you are teaching uh, about yourself. That's a good thing to pray. Another good thing to pray is, Lord, in this passage as I look at it, show me grace. Old Testament, strange passages, show me your grace. And how about this? Uh, God, as I, um, as I read this passage, would you show me, no matter where I am in the scriptures, Old Testament, new, whatever, um, show me um, the beauties of redemption in Jesus Christ. Those are good things to pray for your souls, ladies and gentlemen. Well, notice then the dystopic thrust of these pairings of statements with Jesus. You look at verse 35. Um, 
I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. How hopeful. And then you read on and you go, but I said that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. Wow. But now look at this pairing. You see me, you don't believe. Verse 37, all that the Father gives will come to me. Uh, that, that's hopeful too. Um, it, it, the, the one verse is packed with so much redemptive stuff about God, the bread of life, and so on. Um, let's, let's look at some of the doctrines that are taught just in verse 37, and that's why we're, that's why we're camped out here. Um, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Now, what, what, is that, uh, what does that, compared to the previous verse, teach us? You see, uh, and yet you do not believe. Well, what does that mean? That, that describes total depravity, doesn't it? We've been shown, but we don't believe. I mean, my goodness, it says so in, in the beginning of Romans. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, for God has made it plain. Um, for his invisible power, attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived since the creation of the world. No one's without excuse. God has, God has made himself available to the world. The message of Jesus Christ is made available to the world. God has made himself known. Here, Jesus has shown himself to people, even in, in a circle of people, and yet belief is so difficult, uh, unless God intervenes. That is the problem of total depravity. It's called the frequencies not matching up. Boop, 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 boop. I'm searching for God. Boop, 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 boop. I'm searching for God. There's only one way. It's the God-man. It's the Christ. Um, it's the way, the truth, and the life one way. And so um, you accept it or reject it utterly. You either believe that in your sin, you're separated from God, you're drowning, and uh, a net has gone in the water and plucked you out. You either believe that fully or you reject it utterly. There's no in-between. Um, we also see in uh, verse 37 some potent words about God's sovereign choice. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Well, that sounds like the God that the, God, the Father has the question. Has everybody come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ? Everybody? You ever, you ever known? No, so that's not everybody, not 100% of human beings? Well, some do, some don't. But all who do come, come because the Father has given them to Jesus. Now, that sounds very specific. I mean, uh, it's, it's speaking of God's sovereignty. Jesus is saying again and again throughout the entire gospel, it's not, it's not because of our works. It's not because of, of, of our of our. Of our our, our mission, but it's, it's Jesus joyfully carrying out the work of the Father that we, we might belong to him. You know, um, our grace group uh, has been doing a, a kind of a cool thing the last couple of years. Um, I just find a passage in the scriptures and I ask them to read it in their own time. I tell them to get alone, read it slowly and out loud and make some notes on it and we'll come and we'll discuss it. And I have questions written up. And so if, if nobody has anything to say, I got plenty to say. Um, but uh, I lead the discussion and it's just been awesome because we're looking at scripture together and it's, it's, just, it's just wonderful. Well, um, one of the things we did a few months ago, no, I think it was last year, is we looked at John 17, the high priestly prayer. Um, and uh, by the way, the first thing I ever taught in Bloodworth years ago was John 17. Then I taught it again about 10 years ago and uh, we're going to end up teaching it again. Let me tell you, it's tough. It's, 
It's not some sunny little sermon series. It's, it's, it's deep. It's profound. It's Jesus in the shadow of the cross, hours away from being crucified. But in it, Jesus, he makes very specific claims about who he's praying for, um, not the world, but, but Christians, not the world, but those who will come to a saving faith. I mean, it was very uh, troubling to some of the folks in our grace group because you have these, these, these things about God's sovereignty that seem so hard to, hard to, um, hard to um, grasp, you know? If you want to ruin a dinner party, you start talking about God's sovereignty or bring up the topic of election, and it's like the, the needle scratch on the record. People are like, oh, no, you've ruined Thanksgiving, you know? Um, but friends, election is a Bible word. Elections in Romans, election is in Second Peter. Um, predestination isn't a cliche. Um, it's not something academic or, or, or Presbyterian or something. It's a Bible word. Those are Bible words, and you have to do things with Bible words. Well, to give you a little bit of relief, um, God's sovereignty God's election, you want, you want a little piece of heart over this, this issue that scares a lot of people and is certainly mysterious and hard to grasp. Um, here's a good way to think about it. When we tend to think about election, we think of it from our own perspective. You know, well, uh, I made it to heaven, yay, me. You know, when you think about election, you really ought to think of it this way. The, the emphasis should not really be on us. Um, the emphasis is on Christ. Christ is the recipient. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Jesus is the one who has been given specific lives. That's pretty amazing. And Isaiah 53.10 says, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. So think about election uh, in terms of Jesus. All right, Um, let's look at a couple more things. All that the Father gives me will come. Now, pause over that for a second. There's no, um, gee willikers, I hope so. All that the Father gives me will come. And not only does that point to God's uh, sovereign control over the matter, uh, but to the success rate of that control, which is 100%. All that the Father has given to Jesus will come. You know, John Murray said that um, God places um, holy constraint on us, which I thought was a pretty cool thing to say. Holy constraint. I mean, he... He wills it. He draws us. He does things in our lives that, that trip us up and confuse us and make us think about our mortality and make us think about things beyond just the temporal. He makes us think about spiritual things, and, and uh, he puts a holy constraint on us. This is pretty cool. Speaking of Martin Luther, this is a quote from Martin Luther, and um, here's what he says. Uh, we must take comfort from the fact that we believe in and preach Christ. The world cares nothing about this. It will not dance even though we pay at court, sing or whistle a tune. It will not mourn even though we wait for it. Neither high promises nor severe threats bear any fruit. Although we wear ourselves out in the process, all is futile. The world refuses to believe. But Christ himself declares here that the word will still find its followers and some will daily come and accept it. The words of Christ all that the Father gives me must be fulfilled. Um, don't you find that encouraging, this idea? Christ himself declares that the word will find its followers. Who are its followers? I don't know. So you know what? Proclaim it everywhere. 
Proclaim it everywhere with your life, with your words, with your attitude, with your prayers. Proclaim it everywhere. Be salt and light. Who will come? I don't know. What about my uh, 29-year-old child who is uh, completely, utterly resistant to Christianity? I don't know. Pray about it. But, but know this. All that the Father gives will come. And uh, I've seen God call people at all stages of life, including on a deathbed, including right away on a deathbed. And I, and I, and I can believe it. Um, so application for your life. What does this do for your um, sense of the mission of the gospel? Um, does it not create urgency? Yes. Does it create comfort? I think so. Um, you know what else it does? It gives dignity to your labors. Um, ministry. You know, people, people go, oh, elders, oh, it looks like so much fun to be an elder. I don't think it's fun. I mean, there's some fun things, but being an elder is not like, it's not like a boardroom, boys club, cigar chomp, and a barrel of laughs. It's hard. Being in pastoral ministry is hard. How about this? Being a mother of a Christian home is hard. Raising your kids is hard. Being a dad is hard. Being a father and a wife is hard. It's hard to be a Christian and do these things. And... Um, you know, I'm a public person, somewhat reluctantly. I'm public here, I'm public there, I'm in the Kroger, I just wave at everybody at the Kroger all day long. I think I know them, and, um, and it drives Tammy nuts, but uh, we're, we've been out of the country. I'm like, hey, hey, it's like you're in Italy, you know? Um, but, but all to say, most of my labors are done in private. I mean, most of my pastoral work is not here and there. Most of my pastoral work is quiet, private. No one ever sees it. Um, I'm up here at strange hours, and uh, I'm the only one in the building, and I'm thinking, well, this is, here you go, Lord. (laughs) I mean, it's for you. It's for you. It's not for anything. It's not for the glory, you know, of mine. Uh, It's for him. But doesn't it just give dignity to your work to know that all that the Father gives Christ will come to him? Changes, it just I don't know, it just relieves the pressure of all the, the, all, of all the, the, the strange work that we have to do that is, never, that is never even known. And that brings us to our last little point. Um, you ever heard of the doctrine of the, the, the perseverance of the saints? We're almost done here. Perseverance of the saints. The, basically, the idea of perseverance of the saints is this, that if somebody truly comes to a saving faith in Christ, that soul can never be lost. If they're truly in a saving faith relationship with this God, um, they will never be cast out. Um, you know, um, you, you've heard of insurance on TV. You've seen insurance. Click a call. You've seen that? Yeah? Well, you know, it's, it's funny. I laugh at that commercial all the time um, because they have this line. insurance was born online. And, uh, you know, a younger generation hears that. And they go, ooh, born online? I like that. Well, you know, my father sees that. He's like, born online? I mean, you want insurance backed by something. You know, I mean, I, believe it or not, I was in the investment business for four years. I had a series 62, a series, no, I had a 52, a 64, a 6, and a 7. So I had a number of, of, of uh, financial licenses. And, uh, you know, one of the things you learn is uh, insurance isn't any good unless the people who back it are super-duper good and solid and well-rated and they have money. You can't get money from people who don't have money. And so when you see that, insurance is born online. Click or call. You know what they added? Now backed by Allstate. (laughs) 
because it's like, oh, everyone's excited about it, but it's like smart people are going, eh, you idiots. Now back by Allstate, okay? Back by something. Friends, all who come to Jesus are as safe as Jesus is faithful. It's not a salvation backed by your whims. It's not a salvation backed by some idea or concept or, gee, I hope it's true. It's backed by the living Christ. All that the Father gives him will come to him. All right, I close with this. Um, when, when I first got into ministry, and I mean, Dr. Young had asked me to do music on a single strip, and so I go on the single strip, and um, I'm learning Christian songs on the way, as I've told you in the past, and my first song in the singles retreat, there were, there were songbooks on every seat. My first song I opened with, I said, guys, this is my favorite song, my favorite Christian song of my lifetime. Second, when I was a kid, it's my favorite song. And Dr. Young's like, oh, I can hardly wait to hear this. Mm, go ahead, Jimmy boy. And uh, I, I, I play my guitar. I got this cool arrangement of it, groovy chords. And I go, I have decided to follow Jesus. And, and Dr. Young's going, Elizabeth, you know. He's, uh, he's going, what have I gotten myself into? I'm like, this is my favorite song. We're going to sing this every day. Well, you know what, folks? Um, And, you know, it's also got this other man-centered, no turning back, no turning back. You know, in my own power, I'll follow Jesus, you know. I won't turn back because I'm so strong. Well, that's hardly a a gospel-centric message. But let me tell you something. Um, Paul writes in Ephesians, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. In fact, he goes on to say in that same in that same chapter, um, just a couple verses later, it says, God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trans- trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. I mean, we were sinners. We were against him. We were in our trespasses. We were dead. What did we need? Life. That's why it says, God made us alive. You know what happens when God makes you alive? When the ones that the Father has given Jesus come, you know what happens? When God makes you alive, I'll tell you what happens. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. You know why? Because God's done a saving work. You know, you're not gonna turn back. That's perseverance of the saints. God has done a work. All who, all who are given to Christ will come. You Have you decided? You made a choice. You better believe you made a choice. You decided to rest your faith on the Savior. That's what life does. Let's pray. Father, um, your gospel is a mystery, and uh, you are a mystery, uh, but you're a mystery revealed. You, you joy to share yourself. You joy to open up your word that you've given us. You joy to illuminate that truth in the power of the Holy Spirit whom you sent to dwell in us. Oh, God, we see and we believe and uh, we rest in the marvelous work of the Savior who has, uh, who has been elected to receive sinners uh, for his joy and for your glory. It's, it's a mystery indeed, but God, thank you for making us partakers. Might we delight in it, and might we have a greater sense of what is the church of Jesus Christ, and we pray in the name of our great head. Amen. Thanks, everybody.